welcome to another episode of the official podcast of the American Osteopathic College of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. I am student Dr. Jake Agat, and I will be filling in for T as your host today. I am very excited to introduce today's guest, Dr. Brandon Sneed. Dr. Sneed practices sports medicine, but within a pretty particular niche. He covers combat sport events like mixed martial arts and Muay Thai as a ringside physician. Dr. Sneed completed his residency in PM&R at the University of Rochester and then went on to complete a sports and spine fellowship at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Now he is based out of Las Vegas where he covers many combat sport events, both amateur and professional. He is also an assistant professor at the Toro Nevada College of Osteopathic Medicine and he runs his own practice. Dr. Sneed is also a teaching faculty member at the Sunrise Health Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation Residency Program in Las Vegas, which is a brand new program that opened up only last year in 2019. I actually had the great privilege of assisting Dr. Sneed with some of his ringside duties at an amateur MMA event a few months ago, and it was definitely one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. I asked Dr. Sneed to talk with us today about his experiences being a ringside physician, and I think many of you will find our conversation very interesting. And so, without further ado, let's get into the podcast. All right, and we are live. Dr. Sneed, thank you so much for meeting with us today. Um, just wanted to check in and see how you're doing and with this whole COVID pandemic, was, has this been disruptive to your day-to-day life or is everything mostly the same? What, what's that looking like for you? Well, thank you for having me. Um, most things are the same. We're still working. We've switched to telemedicine at work and uh, things are a little bit slower, but we're still seeing patients, still taking care of them. And my, my family is doing well too. Well, that's great. I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, well, thanks again for taking some time to talk with us today. Uh, I know that you, since you are a ringside physician, that's something that not a lot of people get much exposure to, and I just think that's an interesting topic to learn more about. Uh, I was wondering if you could tell us what exactly like is a ringside physician and what, what do those duties look like? Sure. A ringside physician is a unique field. It's something that's small and growing in the United States and around the world. Um, Our primary duty is to the athlete. So first and foremost, we're about the health and safety of the athletes competing. And we always keep that in mind at every event. That's our primary purpose in being there is to make sure that these athletes are health and safe, safe and uh, ready to compete. So there are a number of things that we do from pre-event physical exams, making sure that they're ready to fight, that there's no infectious uh, disease on the skin or mucosa, making sure there are no injuries that would limit them from participating safely, and uh, a quick medical screen to make sure they're healthy and ready to go for that event. And then we're there at ringside for uh, boxing, mixed martial arts, Muay Thai. Um, You could include jujitsu and grappling. We're there to make sure that there's nothing serious uh, that occurs during the event. And we do a post-bout check to make sure that they're doing well immediately after. And we often triage. We have to figure out if this person is safe to go home. Can they just do an, an urgent care follow-up within a few days? Or do they need to go to the hospital that night? Okay. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, th- I thought that was really interesting. And 
something that I guess it just occurred to me about like the, the patient doctor relationship. Are they like formally your patient or is, is it something a little more informal? Like you're just kind of supervising and you refer them to their, their provider. Or what is that like? We describe the role as a consultant. So you don't have the typical doctor patient relationship here. You're there as a consultant to give a medical opinion on things. Typically we don't, know these fighters well. We do obtain their medical history at the pre-bout exam, but we aren't their treating physicians. We're there just to make sure things are, are safe and that it goes off without any major injury. So you would describe it more as a consultant. Okay, that makes sense. So is there any kind of like charting involved or is that not essential since you are more of in a consultant role? There is charting, and I think it's important that you always document things. Starting with the pre-event physical exam, there's paperwork that they fill out. It gives their medical history, history of knockouts, TKOs. Uh, you want to obtain as much information as possible. And so that's in a written form. There's a portion for the doctor to fill in uh, his or her physical exam, your findings there, especially noting anything abnormal. And then the post-bout exam, there's more paperwork so we can document uh, any changes, any injuries or other ailments. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so what kind of sports are we talking about exactly? We've talked about a few of them, Muay Thai, Jiu-Jitsu, Mixed Martial Arts, Boxing. Are those the big ones or is there others that are pretty common? Well, those are the big ones. The ones that I typically work frequently are Mixed Martial Arts and Boxing. Muay Thai is, is big in certain regions, and I love working it. I just can't find enough shows to get on, but those are the major three. Not every ringside physician will work a jiu-jitsu or a grappling tournament. That's something I sought out because I have a particular interest. There are many uh, grappling tournaments where they don't need a doctor. They'll use athletic trainers. They'll have paramedics. They don't require a physician there. Mm -hmm. But some of them, they'd like to have a physician who has a particular interest. And then I'll work those shows where if uh, if they'll have me, then I'll go out and work them. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up your interest. I think that's uh, important in how you ended up here as a, a ringside physician. What kind of brought you to this, this modality of medicine? Uh, did you practice martial arts when you were younger? Uh, how, how exactly did you end up here? I did. I grew up in traditional martial arts before the era of, of mixing different styles. I trained a few different styles through childhood, and then I started following UFC way back in the 90s. At that time, they were doing style versus style to see uh, which was more effective and which would win. And I found that fascinating, just watching these different matchups. Right. And it was a dream for me to be able to work as a ringside doctor. You know, it's something I, I hadn't pictured uh, throughout my youth. And uh, when I moved to Las Vegas, you know, it's pretty abundant here. And I knew that it was happening here and there were doctors working here. So I definitely wanted to be involved. So my passion started with training martial arts and then it grew into being a doctor for these athletes. That's awesome that you got to kind of intersect your personal interests and your professional life. It's something I'd like to do also. Um, I remember when we covered that event in December, you were telling me, even though like this is awesome for you to be there and to be watching, but 
we have like a responsibility as the healthcare team that we have to be kind of like stone faced, showing no emotion. We don't want to like have any kind of bias or any like indication that we might be favoring one fighter over the other. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I can. So I don't know if I would use the term stone faced, but you sure. don't want anyone to get the impression that you're biased. You know, in a lot of states, and this does vary from state to state, the doctor can stop a fight. And so someone could argue that this doctor showed favoritism and maybe he knew this fighter or knew this coach or just favored this corner. And so we don't want to cheer or clap our hands or show any expressions when there's a big takedown. We just want to be focused on the medicine aspect. You know, when there's a takedown, you need to be watching. You're looking for injuries, looking for a change. Uh, when there's a hard strike to the head or even to the ribs or the leg, you're looking for a change in their motion. Because in the end, you're the doctor, you're there to look for injuries and to protect those athletes. They'll try to cover some things up, uh, hide it discreetly. And you have to make some decisions about what's safe to move forward and continue and what's not safe. So we're always just focus, focusing on the medical aspect of it. Yeah, that makes a, a good point that I wanted to bring up. Um, it is different in different states, and it seems like it's not exactly standardized yet, depending on who is covering the event. And um, I, we had talked about this briefly before, but like at UFC 244, Nate Diaz sustained that cut over his right eye. And then this was in New York. The doctor called off the fight, whereas you could look at Nate Diaz fighting in previous bouts, and he has that same cut, and it's like the same amount of bleeding. So is there an effort to standardize like kind of the criteria for when to call off a fight nationally, or is it really like, you know, that you're in New York and they have certain guidelines. And so you do it the New York way when you're in New York, or how do you kind of determine um, when to call off a fight like that? There is an effort to standardize things, but it, it's challenging. Each state that sanctions uh, mixed martial arts and boxing and Muay Thai, that state has a regulatory body and that body will set in place a number of rules, and then they'll look to the physicians to uh, work amongst themselves to standardize within their commission about what they'll let go and what they'll stop. And that's going to vary from state to state. Now, we do have the Association of Ringside Physicians. That's a, uh, a national organization that has gone international. We now have uh, people from around the world who are members. And the the goals of the ARP, the Association of Ringside Physicians, are many, but one of them is to standardize the way that we work as ringside physicians. So to give advice and publish guidelines on what we should do at ringside, things we need to look out for, um, potential reasons to stop a fight. So we are trying to standardize things, and we're trying to take that around the world to make it pretty standard. But you still have individual commissions. And as we know, medicine is an art. It's an art that we have to practice our entire lives. When you go in there to assess someone, you only have a few seconds to check things and make a decision. And sometimes that decision will vary from one physician to another and one place to another. I, I actually watched that Nate Diaz fight, and I had a lot of thoughts about it. But one of the things, as I thought about it more and more, is I was sitting at home watching a 720p stream. So 
it's high definition, but it's not very high definition. It's whatever the camera could pick up. And that camera was zoomed in on the cut. But the view that I had is very different from a doctor who's standing there one foot away from Nate. And I could look at it and form a certain opinion, but I can't hear what the doctor is asking him, what Nate is saying. And I can't see that cut the same way that that the doctor assessing him uh, is. And so that makes a big difference. You know, watching it on television, I couldn't see that there was more than one cut. And when I saw a photo later, I realized he had multiple cuts there. And so we have to be very careful about sitting in our comfortable chairs, watching a TV, maybe 10, 12 feet in front of us versus a doctor standing right in front of Nate and seeing and hearing something different. Right. And and I imagine that's got to be a tough position for the physician because there's all this pressure, I'm sure, to let the fight go on. And I remember that particular doctor got a lot of flack for calling off the fight. And, and I think that's a shame because it's all about the health of the fighters at the end of the day. And, you know, just to, to let the fight go on for its own sake, that, that's not a good enough reason. We want to make sure everyone's healthy. Um, right. And like I said at the beginning, our job is the health and safety of every fighter. And you have maybe five to 10 seconds to make a decision keeping in mind that you have to keep these people healthy and safe. There's a certain amount of injury we can allow, but we can't let it become excessive. Right. That makes perfect sense. Um, So I wanted to ask you about injuries and now I kind of realize it's going to depend on what sport that you're covering, but uh, what, what are the common injuries you see in combat sports? What I see the most is hand and wrist injuries, whether it's, uh, MMA, Muay Thai, boxing, you're going to see a lot of hand, a lot of wrist injuries. There are fractures, sprains and strains, contusions. And then when you get into MMA and grappling, of course, you'll see a lot of joint injuries. Depending on uh, what the players train, whether they focus more on upper body submissions or if they're master of leg locks, you'll see the shoulder and elbow injuries versus knee and ankle. And then You'll see the um, hand and wrist injuries often in in a person who is applying a submission, or if the defender is using his hand and wrist to defend, you'll see some sprains and strains there. And then when you're looking at mixed martial arts, you're also including takedowns. So you're going to see cervical, thoracic, and lumbar injuries as well. It spans the whole gamut, and that's not even considering all of the concussions that we see at, at those events. Right. Yeah. It sounds like anything can go wrong. And um, if there is an injury, what if the athlete wants to continue? If they, I don't know, dislocated their elbow or something, is it just they're done and you have that authority to make that call? We we can. Uh, what we try to do is talk to the ref and say, I recommend that you stop this fight. It's a matter of respect to them. When you look at different commissions, They have different rules. I'm on the commission in California as well as Nevada, and we have some slightly different rules. And so in one commission, you may be able as a physician to stop the fight. In another commission, you may not be able to, but you can absolutely say to a referee, hey, I think we should stop this fight. And the referees generally go along with you and say, "Okay, we're going to stop it. Um, Making that decision, it's not a straightforward thing. There are a lot of factors involved. If you have a joint dislocation, uh, there's a lot you're thinking about. And 
you're essentially just saying, if I let this go on, is this person going to sustain additional injury? Will will there be a lifetime injury or some sort of mm. permanent change to them? That's the thing we want to avoid is some sort of lifelong injury. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask you also about the demand for combat sports physicians and ringside physicians. Uh, it, is there is it a pretty saturated field or do they need all the help they can get. What is it like trying to cover these events? Do you have to like take turns with other people? I I imagine in Las Vegas, like we were saying earlier, there's probably a lot more events than if you were like maybe in Denver, Colorado or somewhere that's not this hot spot for all this combat sport events. Right. I can speak for two states. So I, I go back and forth between Nevada and California. I can tell you both of those states host a large number of events in California in particular, being such a huge state, there's something going on pretty much every weekend. So they need a lot of doctors because doctors take vacation. They maybe don't want to work every weekend. They have families. So they need a good number of doctors to cover all of these things throughout the state. In Nevada, you don't have it uh, as widespread. It's, it's Las Vegas or it's Reno, maybe a little bit uh, further south of Las Vegas, but there are only a few hot spots, and we still have a need here because a doctor doesn't want to work every single event every weekend. So there is a need, and it's growing. And when you look around the country, you'll see these different pockets around the country where MMA is growing, it's starting to get bigger, and so you're going to need more doctors in those areas from New York to Florida, even looking at Michigan, my home state. There are things that are growing up there, and so there's opportunity for people to get involved. Okay, great. So obviously your training is in physical medicine and rehabilitation, and then you did a sports and spine fellowship. Do you think that – is this the ideal path for someone who wants to go into being a ringside physician? I know that there's other docs who cover these events. Some are in surgery. Some are in emergency medicine. What in being a PMNR trained person, do you bring anything unique to the table or is it pretty much anyone can learn it? Maybe it's easy to learn, difficult to master. Um, what's unique about your PMNR background? Well, I don't think you have to come from that PMNR sports medicine background. The most important thing for a ringside physician is someone who's eager to learn and willing to put in the time. Because it's such a unique field, you can't just go and get this training anywhere. If you're a resident in some middle uh, country state, you may not have access uh, to work these fights. Maybe you, you only get to work one event in a year. So I think what's most important is um, being willing to learn, being teachable, and being accessible to go out and shadow and ask good questions and do some reading, learn on your own. You could come from any specialty. As long as you're fully licensed in your state, you have an MD or a DO, uh, then you have the ability, at least in Nevada, to work as a ringside physician. So I think the most important thing is being teachable. Now, as far as my training, I think it's a good uh, mix because PM&R is a musculoskeletal-based training, and then we see a lot of traumatic brain injury, other head injuries. Um, Many of the residents are exposed to concussions. And so we see all of that from other sports and from motor vehicle accidents and uh, work injuries. 
And so we can apply all of that learning and that training into this unique field at the ringside. Okay, great. Um, I remember talking to you about this earlier, uh, and, and you mentioned that it really depends on what do you want to do when you're not covering these events also. I asked about like family medicine, going into a sports medicine fellowship, and then I remember what you told me was if you don't want to do family medicine like most of the time, then you should be doing, you know, go into something that you like to do still. So like for you, PM&R and interventional spine stuff, that's when you're not doing sports events, that's what your job is. And so make sure your job, like it's like your day job. What do you, what do you want your day job to be? Right. So it's commonly said that if you do a sports medicine fellowship and you sit for the board exam, you're going to see about 20% of your patient population as athletic injuries. The other 80% is whatever your primary specialty is. Now that can vary from place to place, depending on uh, where you work and the contract you get. There are some people who do 100% sports medicine, some people who have greater than 20%, but I think the average is running about 20%. So um, whatever you did before you got the sports medicine fellowship, there's a good chance you're still going to be seeing those patients as your bread and butter. And so that's why I always tell students, pick the residency that suits you best and then go for that sports medicine fellowship after. Don't try to play a numbers game and say, well, which residency gives me the best chance of getting this fellowship? I think mm. that's looking at it the wrong way. And I think you should enjoy what you do day to day. I see athletes in my office for injuries. I see them for sports physicals. But then I see uh, work injuries. I see motor vehicle accidents. I get uh, stroke patients and spinal cord injury. And I'll tell you, that's what I love. I love seeing amputees and making sure they get the appropriate prosthetic equipment. So I chose this field because I love everything about the field. Great. That's awesome. Thank you. And that might actually be a great segue into the residency program that you are a faculty member, the Sunrise Health PM&R program that started just last year. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that program? I know it's brand new and that they have five current residents and then they're getting five new ones in a couple months. And what else can you tell us about the Sunrise Health PM&R program? We actually expanded. So our next group is going to be six. We added one more. Oh, great. It's, um, it's interesting because this is their first year and everyone's feeling things out. The attendings have been teaching medical students for a while, but now we have residents. So we have to give them more responsibility and teach them more. And it's been a matter of transitioning to a higher level. We also understand they're in their second year. This is their first year doing PM&R. And so we don't want to push them too hard or expect more than what we should expect from a PGY2. So it's been a good learning process for us as well as for our residents. I think overall the residents are happy. They're getting good, solid learning. We had a meeting recently where the residents presented on their satisfaction with the program. Overall, I think they were very satisfied and they would choose to uh, do this all over again if, if they had to. And I think we offer a pretty solid program here. That's awesome. Um, and we were talking about access to cover sporting events. I, I didn't realize that this was the first PM&R program in the whole state of Nevada. 
Um, is there pretty good access at Sunrise to covering? There's a lot of sporting events going on in Vegas. The Golden Knights, the Raiders are moving there. All the boxing and mixed martial arts that takes place. Is that a pretty uh, pretty good environment for covering these sporting events? We're creating the access. So I've made it a personal mission to give my residents as much access as possible. So any event that I'm working, I reach out to them and let them know, hey, these events are coming up, different dates and times. It's all in an email. Let me know who wants to come and, uh, and shadow me. At this point, you know, they aren't treating anyone, but they're standing on the sidelines. They've already attended professional soccer. They've come with me to ice hockey. I've had a number of the residents come to boxing and mixed martial arts. So anything that I'm working, I let them know, hey, th these things are coming up. If you want to come, let me know. And I encourage them to just come out anytime they can. With these new work hour rules, they aren't working on the weekends. They have weekends free. And that's the prime time from Friday night to all day Saturday to cover events. So I, I think they're taking advantage and they're going to take more advantage of it. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Um, so I kind of know what it's like to be part of an, an inaugural class. My school is Rocky Vista University in Southern Utah. I was part of the brand new class there. And, you know, there's challenges that comes with being that pioneer class, but there's also tremendous advantages sometimes, too. I just know me and my class, we really support each other. We're a very tight knit group. And it seems like our administration just wants to help us with anything we want to do. They just back us completely because they want us to, you know, pave the way for success. Um, I, I kind of imagine maybe Sunrise Health is a similar environment where maybe there's some disadvantages that you don't have upperclassmen that you could rely on for guidance. But maybe you also get access to way more patients and more interesting cases. And, you know, you, you get to see everything that you want to see. Um, can you talk a little bit about that being the pioneer class? Yeah, so you laid it out. The The advantages are there are only five of them right now. So those five have access to everything. They're seeing the patients and potentially doing procedures and uh, getting exposed to everything versus if you were at a really big program that housed, let's say, 40 residents, then typically your seniors are going to have first access to things, to doing procedures, to being hands-on. And as a third year, you're waiting until you can be a fourth year to have that access. Uh, these residents have it right away because there's no one else to compete with. But the disadvantage is they don't have chiefs ahead of them. They don't have seniors they can look to for guidance and ask about difficult situations, difficult patients. So um, they certainly have access to us and uh, we as uh, clinicians try to make ourselves accessible to them. They have to take advantage of that, but they don't have that middleman that they can go to. Okay, great. That makes sense. Um, kind of pulling things back into being a ringside physician. I wanted to ask you, I remember a certain instance when we were covering that event last December and the fight was called off by the referee um, and he was, it was one of the heavyweights and he was just really upset that the fight had been called off. And yet the first thing he's told is go to the doctor, you got to get checked out. And I just thought like, man, this guy's going to hit you. <laughs> you know, like it was a little nervous about that. Is there any danger being a ringside physician? Has that ever, has any competitor been violent with you? I mean, it's a very inherently violent situation and I'm sure adrenaline is running high all the time. Um, is there any danger involved for you as the physician? 
That's a good question. I have to assume there is some danger. I've certainly watched plenty of fights on television. I've seen a fighter get into a fight with a ref, and I've seen a referee knock out a fighter uh, when that happened. These things wow. certainly have, have, have happened. It never happened to me, uh, but I've seen them watching them on television. When you train for three or four months for a fight and your mindset is, I'm going in there to smash this guy and I'm going to win at all costs, and then you lose, you can walk out upset, very upset, frustrated with yourself. Um, you may feel that there is an inaccurate call by a referee. And so you walk out of that cage and you're angry. And then someone's telling you, hey, you need to go see this doctor. And the last thing they want to do is get checked out. They want to go walk away or, or do something. I've never had anyone attack me or threaten to attack me, but it's it could happen. That threat is there. And so we're always ready for it. The thing I didn't tell you about that I find interesting, if you start working these shows and you start talking to people before the shows begin, you'll find out that a lot of the inspectors have been training martial arts for years. The referee is a black belt in, in maybe one or two styles. The mm -hmm. doctors working at ringside may have black belts in different martial arts and maybe training currently. Um, the chief inspector may be a jujitsu black belt. You look around and you see these people and you know that they're realtors and dentists and uh, work as cashiers, but you won't know their martial arts background unless you start talking to them. And you'll find out there are a lot of people in the room with a lot of training who are not fighting. And so uh, sometimes you have to be... As an athlete, you have to be careful about who you pick a fight with because you don't know uh, what that other person's background is. We know that people get involved working mixed martial arts because they love it. They have a passion for it. And the vast majority who have a passion for it are people who have trained or are still training now. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, they got there for a reason. They're not doing something else on a Saturday night. So they're interested and you, you never know. Uh, what someone's background is. Um, well, thanks for answering that. Um, I wanted to ask you also, what advice would you have for someone in medical school, maybe like a year one or year two who wants to do this? Um, how can they, how can they pursue this goal of being a ringside physician? Should they do certain types of residencies? Should they start shadowing as much as possible? Or should they just focus on their studies? So they're a competitive applicant? What advice would you have? I think what's most important is that you get involved. So if you're a first or, or a second year student, that's a perfect time to start shadowing. You need to find out who in your area is doing this. If there's even, well, there should be boxing in your area. USA Boxing is all over the country. They have uh, a local group in all the major states and major cities. And so you can get involved there. You can find out who heads up USA Boxing, contact them, find out who the doctors are, and then get in touch with those doctors and start shadowing. When it comes to MMA, it's not quite as widespread as boxing, but find out what's going on in your area. And again, contact the sanctioning body. They'll put you in touch with the doctors, and then you start shadowing the doctors. There's no harm in taking a Saturday and going out and shadowing an event. 
And then if you like it and you're interested, you're going to start shadowing more. And that just blends in with your regular study time. I mean, you can take a Saturday here and there to go do an event or a Friday night. And uh, you'll start to build a little resume of everything you've shadowed. But it also shows the doctor that you're interested, that you're mm -hmm. committed. And I know when a student reaches out to me and they demonstrate their commitment, that's a student I'm going to reach out to again to let them know their events coming up, come out with me, uh, come shadow me. You know, if someone doesn't show much of an interest, I'm not going to reach out to them too often. But if they keep showing up to these various shows, I know they're serious and I'm going to reach out to them. Right. I, I did ask you if I could help you again. And there was a bunch of stuff lined up and it seems like it's all been canceled and it's going to be canceled for the indefinite future. Do you have any idea when uh, stuff might open up again for MMA or is it really just up to, I guess, the state and federal government? I, I really can't speculate on that. See, the issue is that a lot of people just aren't staying in their homes. They aren't uh, staying home and sheltering the way we've asked them to do. And so our infection rates continue to rise. And so as long as the people are going out, mixing and mingling and not following the CDC's recommendations, there's no way for me to tell when this epidemic will be over. And we won't be able to restart anything ringside until we get a hold on that. So um, right. I'm hoping within the next few months, I, I would love to get back to work. And it was disappointing. You were going to come shadow me on a few different events and mm -hmm. they all got canceled. So, yeah, you know, we're all just real hoping bummer. and waiting. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, um, I was going to ask you also, wh what does the environment look like in Las Vegas for the residents at Sunrise? Um, a lot of us are just kind of all we know is what we've seen on the news and in medical school. A lot of us have just been completely sidelined. We're all in line. We're off our clinical rotations in Las Vegas. Is it like the PM&R residents that they, they got to get bumped to the front line and they're doing COVID-19 patients or is it business as usual? What does that look like for them? Well, I have to say I don't do any inpatient medicine, so I'm not there at the hospital. I get a little bit of information from our staff meeting. So I can only speak to that a little bit. We have a number of residents who are on inpatient rehab rotation. So they're still in the hospital daily. They're still seeing their patients. I think there have been a few COVID positive patients and they've taken on the appropriate steps with room isolation and we have a decent PPE. And so the residents are still working. They're, they're still um, doing the job of a rehab physician. I don't know that any of them have gone and taken ER shifts or done anything in the ICU. I think they're really sticking to our PM&R department and mm -hmm. they're still working and learning. Well, that's good. It could be as normal as possible. Um, right. I wanted to ask you also about the future of being a ringside physician. Is it going to be like the ARP, um, the Association of Ringside Physicians, is that going to be like a, a mandatory body that you must be credentialed with? Or what do you anticipate happening over the next 10 years? At this time, it's not. I can't really say what credentialing requirements there will be. I know that the ARP is a leadership group and really um, taking the greatest stance on setting the tone for how we conduct ourselves as ringside physicians, and I respect them for that. I'm a member of the ARP and I attend their meetings. Um, 
I think we are trying to unify things. We're trying to keep things consistent across the board. And even though we work with different commissions, if we as physicians meet up and we talk and we give examples of unusual situations and how they played out and then discuss what will we do differently, I think all of us learn from that. And then we can take that back home to all of our states and implement those things so that when these unique situations come up, uh, we can be pretty consistent about how we handle them. And I think that's our job as, a, as physicians to meet together as groups and discuss and come up with our own policies about how we'll handle things. So I, I hope that in the future, we're more unified and more consistent. Uh, what other kind of unusual situations do you guys talk about? We talked about like the cut problem with like that Nate Diaz situation. Uh, what other kind of controversies or things do you have to get standardized on that sort of um, it, it's not so clear right now? Well, there are so many crazy things that can happen in an MMA fight. You just can't even imagine all of the things. Usually at our meetings, there's a section where physicians can bring in unique scenarios and talk us through uh, this unique situation that happened to them and then get feedback from the audience about uh, what would you do as the next step. So things like a fighter from Brazil takes a pregnancy test, it's positive, and then only when it's positive, she tells you, well, I just had an abortion like five days ago, and how do you deal with that situation? Right. So yeah. you don't think she's actually pregnant, but her pregnancy test is reading positive. Or um, I, I had a situation, I'd like to do a case presentation on this, where a guy had a history of migraines, but they weren't occurring that often. But then he has a migraine immediately before his fight. It's about 30 minutes before he's supposed to step out there. And I was asked to come see him in his locker room. And so we had to figure out what we wanted to do with that situation. And I, I think I'd like to write that up and present that as a, a unique situation to discuss. They're just all kinds of things that come up you couldn't even imagine that we'll talk about. Yeah, that I, I remember the event that we covered, we were taking blood pressure and there was like a cutoff. If you're higher than this, you're not supposed to fight or whatever. And then a certain fighter, he was just so amped up because he's sitting right next to the guy who he's going to be fighting against. And, you know, he's just the adrenaline's going. So his blood pressure is running high. And then all we had to do was kind of take him to another room and, uh, you know, once he's more calmed down, he even admitted like, sorry, it's just, I can't sit next to that guy. I'm too intense. And then, you know, he was back at a more normal blood pressure. Um, and then we had talked also about, uh, one fighter, Greg Hardy, he was actually taking his, uh, asthma inhaler in between rounds, which is, you know, it's might be an unfair advantage taking a bronchodilator. And, um, and I think he was disqualified for that, but yeah, I, I got to imagine there's like a million things that could kind of throw a wrench into, what the normal is and you kind of have to just use your best judgment in the time. Right. There's so many things you can't even imagine, but we like to share that with one another so we can talk about it and think it through and say, if this ever happens again, how would we handle it? And I think it's awesome for us as physicians to have that opportunity to share and teach each other. Yeah, that's great. Being organized makes a lot of sense. 
Uh, well, I think that's all the questions I had for you. I just, uh, I think we went like over double the time that I told you we would, but I, I really appreciated talking with you and this was really fascinating for me. And I think a lot of people listening are going to be interested in, in it as well. So thanks again for chatting with me today. Absolutely. If I could just share one thing to all the students listening, please. if this is your interest, if this is something you want to do, just be uh, forward about reaching out to people, get involved, start shadowing, show your interest. Even if it's just sports medicine in general, the same rule applies. You, you want to start shadowing. You want to find the sports medicine doctors in your area and start going to football games, go to soccer games, lacrosse, basketball, whatever they're covering, just go out with them and, and show your face and ask some good questions so they know you're interested. That's great advice. Well, Dr. Sneed, thank you again. This has been awesome. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to Kevin MacLeod for the music. Follow us on social media at AOCPMR. I'm Jake Eggett, and we'll see you next time.